Hi, I'm Brad. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and, well, this time Brad, uh, take turns introducing each other to films, and in this way we catch up on our cinema. Uh, So it is the month of October 2020, and uh, we're in the midst of an event that we've been calling uh, Kyle's Killer October. However, Kyle is absent. He's got some real-life business to attend to. Uh, So Brad, uh, from the Cinema Speak podcast, was very humble to uh, step in and help me out in uh, reviewing this this week's film. Uh, So this was not a Kyle pick. However, um, it just so happens that it falls under his uh, selected theme for this month's uh, Kyle's Killer October. That would be unconventional horror um so brad uh the ball was passed to you uh quite hastily on the spot and uh you you came up with a film um that it just so happens kyle like very much approved of um brad uh what uh what did you pick for this week uh we're gonna be talking about kill list uh directed by ben wheatley uh came out in like 2011 2012 around there um and I'm I'm a big fan of this film, uh, so that was one of the reasons that I picked it. Um, and also because I was kind of, you know, stepping in, filling in, you know, with, you know, a few days notice. I didn't want to watch anything that I hadn't seen, and I wanted to watch something that, you know, I, I'd seen before and I knew enough to talk about. And um, obviously I'd been doing a lot of uh, horror movie watching for October as well, and I was kind of looking for an excuse to revisit Kill List. It had been a few years, so... When you asked me to step in, unconventional horror, kind of like all the stars aligned. I was like, I want, I kind of want to watch this anyway, and I just need that push. So I said, let's do Kill List, baby. <laughs> yeah, uh, it worked out swimmingly because um, I, when I ran the suggestion by Kyle, he told me like, man, I was just about to tell you to watch that anyway. So <laughs> um, just so happens, I guess you guys were of the same mind. Um, so yeah, uh, this was Kill List from 2011, uh, directed by Ben Wheatley, and uh, funny enough, uh, we have reviewed one of his pre- one of his other films on the show. Uh, that would be Free Fire, um, which was a more recent film in his filmography. Um, but this was my first time watching Kill List, and I want to say I, I probably uh, I probably came into it the right way, um, in that I came into it virtually blind. Um, I had a a couple of things spoiled for me, um, minor spoilers, um, which uh, I may as well say, say things up front. Uh, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you're well aware of this. Um, we don't give any fucks about spoilers on Catching Up on Cinema. <laughs> uh, so this is going to be a free fire uh, discussion about the film. So if you'd like to see Kill List, uh, I'll just say up front, um, the best way to see it is to go in blind, I think. Uh, do, you, do you think that's accurate, Brad? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to remember how much I knew going in on my first viewing. I feel like maybe I had some stuff spoiled as well, but I definitely think um, it will have the greatest impact if you go in essentially not knowing anything. Um, and, I mean, I would say I highly recommend it if you're a fan of, uh, you know, dark, violent uh, cinema. I'd say check it out. Uh, check it out and then come back and listen to the episode because uh, you don't want to have sort of the final 20, 25 minutes or whatever spoiled for you because I think that could, but you know, potentially ruin the experience. Um, so up front, I would say, you know, hit pause right now and go check it out because I'd say it's worth it. Yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly because um, we don't generally give like star ratings to any of the movies or anything, but maybe that's something we should change. But um, I'll just say up front also that I, I really did enjoy this film quite a bit. 
Um, I did have a questionable reaction to the ending, uh, which I guess we'll get to, but um, I came back around after a couple hours of like thinking on it. Uh, so on the whole, I, I did enjoy this movie. So uh, you and Kyle, I guess, did a good job picking something I'd enjoy. Um, but Brad, like as we as we segue into like a discussion about the film, um, do, do you think you could give like a, a basic plot overview? I mean, yeah, I can, you know. <laughs> I know it's a kind of a difficult task given the nature of the film, but yeah, you know, a shot. Uh, on the surface, you can summarize it pretty simply in just the fact that it's um, a story about two hitmen who are friends, um, and they take on a job where they have to kill three names on a list, and they don't really know anything about these men that they have to kill, um, so they have to go around and, you know, tail them and you know classic hitman stuff and that's kind of the on the surface that's what it's about but obviously once they start getting into their the job they start to realize that there might be something else going on here and uh that's kind of where the 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 spoilers would start to arise but on the surface it's just uh two friends who are hitmen who have to kill three people so I mean, honestly, like if if you really want to break it down as as bare bones as it gets, yes, that that skill is. Yep, yep. Um, um, but yeah, we should get into the details. So, um, I I want to ask you up front. Um, are any of the p- actors in this film are they familiar to you? Because um, there aren't that many speaking roles in the film, but uh, there's a couple of familiar faces in here for me, anyway. Yeah, I um I don't think I'd known him until this movie, but Michael Smiley, who plays Gal, um, he was also in Free Fire, and he's been in some other stuff as well. Um, he was in The Lobster. I think this was where I was introduced to him, and I'll just I'll throw it out there. I think he is awesome in this movie. I think most of the performances from you know the few main characters there are, I think they are quite good. But uh, Gal just he nails that you know sort of like. That friend who has got a he's got a big heart, but he's also you know he's maybe not been quite as you know from a traditional standpoint he might not be quite as successful. He's not married, he doesn't have kids, but uh, he seems like he's happier with that. And clearly, it might be better for his mental health compared to uh, what Jay and his wife have to deal with on a daily basis. But um, yeah, I think Michael Smiley is great, and I've kind of become a fan of him just from seeing this film, and so. Now, anytime he pops up, I'm always uh, always happy to see him in something. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought up Michael Smiley. Um, he, I'm sorry, but I look at his face and I see a bloated Tim Roth. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> I, I can't help but project that. But um, yeah, he's he's very very good. Um, he you he just has a quality to him that like warts and all. He's just endearing in some way. And uh, he kind of filled the same role in Free Fire, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's kind of the heart and soul of that movie in a in a movie full of bastards. Um, but funny enough, uh, apparently he's been in like three movies that we've reviewed on oh, Catching really? Up on Cinema. <laughs> yeah, he's in The Hallow. Um, I oh, yeah, didn't yeah. remember him from that, but he's he's also in Free Fire. And uh, we also have a lost episode of the Lo- the Lobster. Um, but yeah, apparently we like Michael Smiley here on Catching Up on Cinema. But um, he's he's kind of like the chief supporting player in this film. Uh, mm-hmm. Neil Muskell uh, plays the the lead character. That would be Jay. Um, and to me, I 
he was not really known to me. He wasn't a known quality, though. Um, damn, he's good. Uh, apparently, this role was constructed mostly with him in mind. Uh, and I can kind of see why, uh, because as an actor, he is, damn, he is versatile. Mm-hmm. Um, he he assumes so many different postures and tones in this film um, that it it really keeps you guessing up until the very end of the movie. Like, every time I think I have this person figured out, there's, there's a new layer to pull back, and a lot of that just has to do with um, his consistency in being inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Um and one thing that was really interesting about reading about the making of this film, and uh, again, I think the right way to watch this film if you really enjoyed it, um, is to go in blind and then uh, find a couple of interviews um, from the director. Like, find a couple of articles or whatever, just questions asked to the director about what the potential meanings of the story are, because he he doesn't really give concrete answers to any questions. He's, he's kind of coy in that way, but um, when it comes to the, like, logistics of the production i found it really fascinating that i guess the process for shooting it was they had a very loose script and they would do one take of every of every beat in the story um like beat for beat according to the script and then after that it was like okay actors have fun do your acting thing (laughs) so it's just like improvised after that um and apparently one a a recurring theme and i did notice this in having watched free fire uh, previously um, in Ben Wheatley's filmography is apparently he really hates exposition. Um, so a lot of the storytelling, a lot of the depth to the characters, a lot of the layers that you get um, is imparted to us in a really naturalistic way where things are alluded to, but we never stop the, we never stop the action and have someone stare into the camera and say like, <laughs> oh man, that one time in Kiev when I shot all those kids of that orphanage is really wearing on me. Yeah, yeah. It's like, we never do that. We just like, have very naturalistic conversations where people talk as they would in real life, where it's like they have shared knowledge, so why the fuck would they go into detail about it? Yeah. But, I, um, we can mention yeah. um, that it's written by Ben Wheatley and also by Amy Jump, who I believe is uh, married to Ben Wheatley, uh, or at least they were when this movie was made. Uh, I don't, I, hopefully they still are. I hope they're having a you know wonderful life together. Um, but also going on with the uh, you know the sort of loose nature of the filming, and is that uh, in the credits it says written by Ben Wheatley and Amy Jump, and then it says additional dialogue by the cast. So clearly there was quite a bit of improv that was taking place here, and I think you definitely can feel that in terms of a lot of the conversations. Uh, the dinner scene early on feels very naturalistic and. Uh, yeah, I think part of the reason that I like this movie so much is the chemistry between uh, Gal and Jay. We, I think their friendship feels so real and believable, and part of it might be because they were able to sort of like, you know, tweak it themselves and build build off of these characters based on their performances and putting things into the dialogue that weren't in the script. Oh, yeah. No, their their relationship is is so complex, but so it's so readily identifiable. Like I, I don't have this particular relationship in my life. Like I don't have a friend out there that I, I'm this friendly with, but I, I know people who do. Mm -hmm. And it's so fascinating to watch because it's like, it's such like a a deep friendship and love to the point that it's like, you can, you can explode on each other in the most violent of ways. And that it always comes back. Yeah. And in fact, like one of the most beautiful parts about this, this movie, if you ask me is the, is the, uh, just the construction of it, um, the the editing, and 
it's mostly the editing to be honest like some of the shots are really gorgeous too um, but it's mostly th where the cuts are made um, because it has a very dreamlike quality to it um, it does a little bit of the the thing that i call like the departed effect where scenes just kind of abruptly end when when all the when all the meaningful interactions that could happen in that exchange are exhausted it's like we don't need more of that so it's just hard cut right there <laughs> and that's yeah. like oh we teleported and it's at first like you do have to ease into it. It is a different way of cutting a film together, but it's really entrancing to watch. But um, what I'm talking about with their relationship, though, is that like we, in the course of a few minutes, um, we we get to see them like wrestling on the floor and like beating the piss out of each other, <laughs> and then they're all just like splayed out on the couch, like smiling at each other and reminiscing about the old times. And one of my favorite quotes in the movie, and I don't have many because it's not that kind of movie, is not in the face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they have two roughhouse incidents in the in the film where they they start wrestling on the ground. Um, the sec during the second one, wherein a coffee mug is smashed on the back of someone's head. By the way, <laughs> as they're starting to fall down to the floor, I think it's Gal who calls out, "Not in the face!" <laughs> <laughs> but they still keep fighting. But neither of them goes for the face after that. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's just like watching a, a couple of little kids or like puppies just like wrestle with each other. But it's like two 40-year-old men <laughs> like rolling around on the floor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. You almost get the sense that their uh, their friendship, they've been in the shit so much with each other that they couldn't not be friends even if they tried. Like they just are so connected with each other now. Um because, you know, you look at it on the surface and they're pretty different from each other. I mean, Jay is very hot-headed. He, he doesn't really think much where Gal is much more cool and collected. Um, so th they have their differences and you can get the sense that, you know, a lot of times when Jay goes off, Gal is kind of like, oh, here we go again. With a classic Jay going off to, you know, beat up some people or shoot some crazy cultists when we probably shouldn't be doing this but uh you know because they've been through so much together they're just like basically they're, they're friends to the end i mean they, they they can't get out of each other's lives they've got that shared bond yeah no it's it's a really really unique relationship that it, it's actually really endearing in a very very dark and uh, ominous film mm -hmm. uh, because uh the the landscape of the film is constructed in such a way where uh there's seldom moments where you feel at ease <laughs> like even even when they're you know being brothers to each other essentially there's still just something hanging in the air that it's kind of unsettling but yeah um i want to like roll things all the way back to the beginning of the film um and it does have to do with with these two characters mostly jay um so the way the film begins um the very first image we get is a uh, it's some sort of like pagan symbol or something yep um, that apparently some people were critical of in saying that it looked too similar to the Blair Witch symbol. Yeah, I can um, see that. I could, it's very Blair Witch-esque, yeah. Um, I don't remember the Blair Witch well enough, but I do remember a symbol that... I do remember a symbol maybe having some of those shapes to it. Anyway, mm -hmm. that's the first image we get, along with uh, just some like ambient droning. Um, some and some then, whistling, like, first... some creepy whistling. Yes, there's yep. quite a bit of that in this film. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for it, which I was because I can't turn my brain off, um, it shows up much earlier in the film than maybe you'd expect. Um, like like you said, from frame one, but also in the midsection too. Yeah. And then again at the end for sure. But, <clears throat> um, And then we cut to like a domestic disturbance. 
or it, it's it's a what's the actress's name uh Mayanna Buring um she's a Swedish English actress she plays Jay's wife um and she's quite good in this mm-hmm. uh, she, man they tear into each other in this film uh I, I dare say the the most uncomfortable moments in this film are the domestic issues um i hate it when people are yelling in front of kids in movies it it just tears me apart mm-hmm. um and we open with that so i was like oh thanks brad <laughs> <laughs> like, just ruined my whole fucking afternoon now but... that's unconventional horror right there if i tell you anything right there yeah <laughs> but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna like dissect that in in all of its detail and whatnot but there's just something that i noticed i'm curious if it stood out to you um i don't know if this was uh playing on the theme of like the the veteran come home um this is a thing that pops up in many many movies not necessarily horror movies but the idea of like a soldier who comes home and has nothing nothing to offer society other than their soldiering Mm -hmm. um and i got a little bit of that vibe from jay where there's a handful of scenes in the opening minutes of the film like seemingly devoted to dressing him down where yep. the first interaction we see with him and his wife is her screaming at him screaming at him uh because they're in the shitter financially um so apparently he's not good with balancing the accounts um and then immediately afterwards he goes out to their hot tub their hot tub in the gloomy <laughs> i don't know what part of the uk they live in but it doesn't look like hot tub weather <laughs> that, that's when you need a hot tub because it's so cold and nasty outside you don't want to be in like, know, a regular but pool you look at the sky and then you see the hot tub it's like what are we doing like and if you're in the shitter financially why did you buy a hot tub yeah that's that's a fair question yeah but we get to see him futz around with it seemingly because he wants to get away from her but he can't fix it on his own yeah and later we do get like a repairman who comes by and we do get him like glaring at the repair guy from through the window um which jay has a recurring thing with his wife where he 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 likes to be the dude um, and in not being able to repair that, he didn't. He wasn't able to be the dude. And then, mm-hmm. like a, a minute later, again, like it's just a barrage of him being a shitty dude. <laughs> so he's bad with accounts. He can't fix hot tubs. Uh, his kid fucking slaps him in the gut while he's shaving. <laughs> so that kid has zero respect for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not super crazy about that moment. I mean, we could have just. I, I feel like, you know, obviously in terms of the plot, we see Fiona take that bloody uh, tissue later on. I don't know if we needed the kid to actually slap Jay <laughs> to get to that. I feel like maybe, maybe he could have just been so, you know, fired up about the jacuzzi and his wife that he could have just nicked himself shaving and we could have gotten that same point. But again, like this was me watching the movie for the first time, knowing nothing about what it's going to add up to. Yeah. So for me, I was like, is this a story about a loser? <laughs> like, <laughs> like even the title kill list, like I wasn't sure if he was going to be involved with that. Like I had no idea about his military background until the dinner scene a few minutes later. So mm-hmm. at this point I was like, okay, Simon Pegg is going to get roped into like a most dangerous game situation or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this guy is a schlub. He's a loser. Mm-hmm. This kid's kid has no respect for him because he's slapping him when he's shaving. <laughs> That's fucked up. And then immediately after that in the kitchen, uh, she's screaming at him again because he went to go buy groceries and he bought uh, like 10 bottles of wine and like 20 cans of tuna. <laughs> yeah. Now 10 I 10 bottles of wine. <laughs> I I mean I'm j- just trying to wrap my mind around his thought process there cuz that that's about two and a half bottles per person. 
I don't know anybody in their right mind who would probably buy that much. Like if it was eight, maybe eight, eight would be the limit. And it's like, okay, he bought two bottles of wine per person, which is still extremely excessive. But uh, it was kind of like, wow, he really he really screwed the pooch on this one. Ten bottles of wine? Like, oh, my gosh. That's unfathomable. Well, not only that. It's like you just you just had a discussion about finances. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, I get the tuna. Like, that is a money saver. But ten bottles of wine? I don't care how cheap it is. That's ten fucking bottles of wine. But, and he does uh, kind of uh, try and pass it off on uh, Gal by saying that Gal drinks a lot. So, I mean... <laughs> I mean, he does. He, he does, really yeah. Does. <laughs> Both I don't think he'd do. have two and a half bottles of wine in one night, but maybe, I guess. I don't know. I mean, that looked like a long night. <laughs> yeah, it did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but one detail that I picked from there that, again, this is me trying to like compile theories on the fly because I have no idea what this movie is at this point. Um, he has just like a little retort to her. He's like, oh, why don't you write up a list for me? And she's like, I did. You didn't take it. And so I was like starting to think to myself, because this does pop up a handful of times in the movie, where if he's not given explicit direction, he seems to just suck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. But if you give him explicit direction in the form of the titular kill list, um, he seems to come alive. Like he seems to find direction and purpose and actually kind of thrive in that environment. So I was thinking, is this like a person with. I, again, like I was starting to piece together, like is he a veteran? Like is is he somebody that requires a some sort of leash or direction to to make the most use of him? But at this point, he just comes across as a total fucking loser. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get uh, like some of the first of some really interesting images in the film. That uh, uh, another thing that again the construction of the movie really stands out to me. That's really neat about it is like the symmetry. Um, so we have a slow motion uh, uh, foam sword fight in the yard. Um, and it just so happens some of the postures that these characters assume mirrors that of the ending of the film. Yeah. Wherein mom and dad are sword fighting, put a pin in that. <laughs> and then uh, the last beat in that sequence is her laying on the ground and him like standing on like above her. Oh yeah, and the kid's somewhere in the mix too. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, hmm. I wonder why the music is getting really creepy here. I should probably keep this in the back of my mind. Yeah, and like with the sl- how it's in slow motion as well. Like you're you're kind of watching it, and you know, the first time I watched it, I didn't, I wasn't watching it and thinking, oh, this is gonna, this is exactly what's gonna happen later in the film because it's just like no, no, so far out there. Like you would never think that we would get from there to that being a real thing. Um, but when you rewatch the film and you like pay attention to just how much you know focus they give that. Little, little sequence it's like wow how did i not figure out that that's how the movie's gonna end well i of course i couldn't have known that that's how it's gonna end but i did put a pin in that because mm-hmm. i was like something something bad is something bad is going to happen involving these characters i don't know what but yeah. obviously like this this house isn't particularly happy and it seems to vacillate back and forth between being utterly chaotic and okay <laughs> so my bet is that it's going to get pretty chaotic towards the end but yeah yeah um and yeah other things like uh the the dead rabbit in the yard is eviscerated much like gal ends up towards the end of the film mm-hmm. it's like huh this is kind of neat and one other detail i'm sorry to like just bog us down in all these tiny details that maybe don't even mean anything um i noticed uh jay takes a lot of pills in the film um and then some weird shit happens after he takes pills sometimes 
Like, I think uh, right after his second fight with Gal, not only is he drinking hard liquor, he's also uh, taking his his mystery pills, which are in an, like, unmarked bottle. Mm-hmm. And at one point, his wife even confronts him when he he has that, that strange infection that mysteriously disappears just on its own. Um, generally, that's not how infections work. <laughs> um, he has, like, a rash all over his body. And it's really strange but it really does go away on its own but um she actually does like confront him in the bathroom i think like hey uh how many of those you take and he's like uh some (laughs) 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 so it that was another thing that i was like noticing very early in the film that was like keeping that in the back of my mind like is this going to be like a drug trip movie or is he going to like be blacking out um and Normally, I wouldn't hold on to a detail like that because, you know, it could just be an aspirin or something. It could be anything. Um, but the editing of the film for kind of like forced me to keep coming back to that because, uh, be- again, we, we cut away from things so frequently and with such great distance between like in terms of time and place uh, between those cuts. Like when they leave to start doing the kill list. Like the him leaving the house, like it's almost hilarious how it's cut together. Because yeah. like we get to the doorway, all of a sudden he's doing a gorilla impression. He kisses <laughs> his wife, and they gets in the car, and it's just like bam, 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 bam. It's like, whoa! Yeah. <laughs> like, what happened there? <laughs> yeah, there's there's tons of jump cuts. Um, I mean, you could say that maybe Ben Wheatley was just watching a lot of YouTube videos, and that's why he uh, <laughs> implemented that. But um. I think there, you know, it's an interesting way to tell the story, and there's also um, a lot of where you'll have a few frames of just like it'll cut to black and then mm-hmm. it'll jump forward. So like there's uh, the scene where they're torturing the one guy in his home, the the librarian, and there's a, a moment where they start torturing him, and then it cuts to black for like a second, and then we jump back in, and obviously the idea there is like. We jumped forward in time. How much torture has gone on in that time that we didn't see, and it's kind of left up to us to just kind of like assume that you know, there's probably some pretty some pretty gnarly shit that happened in there that we didn't even see. Yeah, it's fascinating because I've talked about this on uh, other episodes of, of the podcast, um, but it, it kind of mirrors um, the flow of one's own memory. Mm-hmm. It's like memory isn't a completely linear thing. It makes a lot of jumps and oftentimes it has to do with just like retaining really specific images that maybe aren't particularly meaningful, but they're just like they're more present. Um, it kind of feels like that. It's very dreamlike in some ways. And I, I found it to be very interesting. It's very unconventional, which fits the theme of this month, um, but it might not be for everyone. I, for one, really liked it. But um we should talk about the dinner party because that's one of the more important early sequences in the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you've got the whole thing with uh, Jay and uh, what's his wife's name? Shell, Jay and Shell, and their passive aggressive comments that build and build upon one another, which, uh, you know, get pretty uh, tough to watch at times because you're like, one of them is going to lose it at some point and you're just i mean you kind of assume it's probably going to be jay but you're just waiting because <laughs> like each one gets a little bit worse like just like at first jay is talking about you know oh the meat's a little a little hard oh why why did you put the gravy in this sort of container like and he's kind of belittling her and then she starts belittling him in front of gal and fiona and so that puts him off even more and it just kind of it just builds until uh, the classic, uh, you know, Bill Murray Ghostbusters uh, 
pull the tablecloth out from under the uh, the dishes moment, <laughs> which I, I, I like, but you have to think, okay, so when he does that, he pulls the tablecloth out from, you know, the table, and obviously he flipped out, but when he does it, he says, abracadabra, which is a, a callback to when he was uh, putting his son to bed. He did the little light trick and turned the lights off and said, abracadabra. I mean, so it makes sense to the audience. Like, there's a bit of a callback there, but like for you know the characters, like like Fiona, like she's just sitting there and like, why did he say abracadabra? Like, what what the <laughs> hell that was all that about? Well, in a different movie, if she was playing like a ditzy character, she'd give like a yeah, Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that dinner scene is oof. It's it's terrifying in its own way because um, you know I've been in the room for interactions like that on occasion and it's it it's the worst yeah it is the worst um and what's interesting about that too though is that like some of the things that he says are slightly valid um and i was again running with this theme because it's around this time when uh when gal and fiona show up that uh they do a like a a walkthrough in the living room and we see like a couple of photos of jay and shell and we learn that both of them were in the military service Mm mm-hmm um, and her serving the gravy in like a, like, what is it? A Pyrex? Just, yeah. He calls it like, it looks like it's a chemistry. Yeah, he's, he's like, it's a fucking chemistry set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It does look a little weird. Um, but like in my mind, I was like, oh, are they both like incompetent in the same way? Like, are they both just like meant to be out in the field doing that stuff as opposed to, you know, pretending to live, you know, a happy domestic life with a fucking broken hot tub? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, she's generally portrayed as being the stronger element of the two in terms of like the makeup of the family. Um, but yeah, uh, we, we get some uh, allusions to some stuff that it seems like a recurring element in uh, Ben Wheatley's filmography. I, I've only seen two of his films, but I do think it's interesting that Michael Smiley's in both of them and uh, the IRA is mentioned in both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Free Fire, that's the reason why the gun sale gone bad is happening, is that they're trying to acquire guns for the IRA, uh, for the troubles. Um, and in this dinner sequence, we get dialogue alluding to that, and uh, Fiona's just like dismissive of it, and we see that Gal is like, mm, you're, you're fucking wrong. But <laughs> Yeah. We, we also get our first mention of uh, religion in this uh, yes. dinner scene, which, uh, you know, it's it been a while since I forgot, but how much that is the theme throughout the movie leading up to the, the, the big finale. Um, but the idea of, you know, Michael Smiley's talking about, I can't remember which, like, denominations specifically, but how Fiona's like, oh, aren't they? the same thing and he's like oh not really love and uh so (laughs) which you know knowing what we know about fiona by the end maybe there's a reason why she just lumps the two together i suppose but well in her mind you're you're probably all wrong (laughs) like regardless of what denomination you're not mine so you're wrong yeah um but yeah uh, she's she's portrayed as being like completely the outsider and um She's a very strange element in the film. She's well cast uh, just for her look. Mm-hmm. She got the weird bug eyes and has like kind of a sheepish demeanor to her, but she's also intimidating in her own way. Um, but one thing that's really neat about Gal um, is that as soon as things start to go bad, uh, the kid, of course, finds his way downstairs because how could you not? There's all sorts of noise happening. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but this kind of occasion is like a, 
a get a babysitter or have the yeah. like, hand the kid off to a family member kind of night. Like yeah. if you're gonna get this sloshed and you're gonna be this volatile, you don't you don't want your kid upstairs. I'm sorry. You really should have thought that through. But again, maybe they're both shitty parents. Like <laughs> maybe it's not just Jay. But Gal, he uh, he almost immediately like goes and like says, "Okay, kid, you're going back upstairs." And you like almost him. like he's done it before. Exactly, and it, it immediately makes him the most endearing character in the film. It's like, oh, he he's he's Uncle Gal. Yeah. Um. And yeah, while everybody's tearing into each other downstairs, Fiona's just like, "Should I leave?" <laughs> it's like, oh shit, my ride's upstairs. <laughs> um, yeah. But Gal is like upstairs telling the boy about like oh you know mommies and daddies you know they they they're so close that you know sometimes they explode on each other and stuff and it mirrors his relationship with jay where it's like they're so close that hey like 10 minutes later in this very film the two of them are going to be tussling on the lawn Mm -hmm. and then smiling and hugging each other (laughs) it's because i guess that's just their style of relationship but i like the uh the twists and turns that the dinner sequence take because like they have their explosion at dinner. Um, Fiona and Shell, they clean up downstairs while Gal and Jay kind of go out to the garage and they have bro talk. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like, like you can tell they are, they are dudes. Like, like just think of like a stereotypical bro talk. And that's basically what they're doing, except they're in their forties and they're both kind of schlubby. <laughs> they're talking like, like high schoolers basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think actually kind of defines them. It's they're, they're, manly men at least in their own minds but um and then after that they like put on music and they get drunk and they slow dance <laughs> and they wrestle in the backyard yeah <laughs> it's yeah. like it, well, it goes all over the place i like uh you know that jay and shell they they make up and then you know there's this sort of nice moment where there's the the pleasant music slow dancing and how that slowly transitions into the you know extremely creepy unsettling music as we cut to fiona which now i don't know if this was if we're supposed to think this is happening after you know they made up or because earlier in the film uh like right when they're having dinner fiona does go to the bathroom yes so i don't know if this is supposed to be fiona did this when she went to the bathroom that time or if uh you know this happened after they made up i don't know but either way you know the creepy music comes in and we see her carve a symbol the symbol from the beginning of the film on the back of the bathroom mirror which um is really i mean the only kind of other than the symbol at the beginning of the film the only sort of like outright horror element until the end of the movie i would say like obviously the entire film is unsettling and ominous and creepy but uh that's one of the only moments that is like more conventionally horror i would say compared to the majority of the film until the end yeah uh it's interesting because it's very early in the film and in some ways it's like was this like a insert or something where they realized yeah shit we should probably like allude to what's gonna come at some point like like in just some minor fashion but it's one of those things that it's a detail that you your brain is holding on to the whole time and it's actually very easy to forget about Mm -hmm. um they do a pretty good job of making Fiona a consistent presence in the film, even when she's off screen um, through Shell mentioning her in, in dialogue like, oh, hey, uh, that that lady with the bug eyes is back over. It's like, wasn't she here for that horrible dinner party? Yeah. Why is she friendly with you now? Like any sensible person would be running for the hills. But uh, OK. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, they they continually remind you that Fiona's kind of lingering at his home, um, but she really doesn't pop up too much more in the movie. Um, so yeah, uh, I did notice one thing at one of the uh, the kill list sequences where uh, it's it's like two frames. Um, it's at uh, the librarian's house when a gal grabs the folder from the the safe upstairs. Uh, that symbol is on the outside of the folder, mm-hmm. but the the lid of it is open, so it's like flipping and flopping. So it's only on screen for a couple frames. So I was like, ah, I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, the movie doesn't forget about it. It does revisit it later, but um, by then it's kind of too late. Um, but does I, I'm sorry. I just wanted to mention that um, as we head towards the kill list, which comes about because um, I think it comes about um, during the garage dialogue between mm-hmm. uh, Jay and Gal. Um, Gal has a job for them. So it's a it's a hit job. Um, and based on uh, the interactions that Jay has with Shell, apparently this is a regular thing. Like, I guess it's been like eight months uh, since Jay has gone on, on some sort of, uh, I don't know what kind of job, if it was like a, like a bodyguard job or if it was also a hit job, but it was in Kiev apparently, and it didn't go well. Yeah, something bad happened. I, and I uh, feel like... Um, when he's telling the bedtime story to his son, I can't remember exactly yes. what is said, but you're kind of left to assume that that fantasy telling is sort of like him telling what actually did happen in Kiev in a way. So it's a way yeah. of giving some exposition without like, you know, like you said, outright explaining it to the audience. Like, here's what happened in Kiev. Yeah, it's referenced several times, but never in detail. At one point, Gal does mention, um, at least they're not telling us to kill a kid. Which mm-hmm. suggests that maybe they had to kill a kid in the in the past, um, which you know Jay's ending in this film seems to be consistent with that. Where it's like, oh yeah, he he is kind of a slimy son of a bitch. But um, I like that when he's telling that story to his kid. Um, that's like our first uh, hint that um, he may have had military service in his background, um, if not today. Uh, when when he asks like where where is the story, he's like. Uh, Baghdadistan (laughs) that's kind of fun but um yeah gal is the one who proposes they do this job together and he's like it's it's a local job so no travel um it's it's in the uk and it's only three people so apparently three isn't too much for them damn that's a lot of killing yeah um but when they they go to their kill list like like i had mentioned the editing when they leave the house is pretty funny because um like jay is in his fancy suit which he Jay's not a handsome man. He can be very intimidating just based on his posture and things like that, but he just looks really out of place and silly in it. But um, the guy who hooks them up with the job, like I don't know what you call him, like the fixer or whatever, uh, he looks like Donald Trump and Joe Biden merged. I was going to say, he looks like Joe Biden with a mullet. I actually had written that note down. That's that's what I saw him as. He's, he's got like the red face and the pale the pale skin around the eyes. And he's got like the slightly oranged hair. Yep. And he's yep. kind of gaunt and skeletal. He's He is not a handsome man. He's kind of intimidating. He makes me think of like the tall man from Phantasm, but, mm-hmm. you know, probably a foot and a half shorter. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But... Uh, that sequence, there's some details there that, again, um, I guess maybe allude uh, to the supernatural aspect of the story where they sign the contract or whatever and the guy just says the word necessary and he, he takes a knife to Jay's palm. And it's a pretty grisly gash. Like, it's mm-hmm. a bleeder. Um, 
and it the wound remains throughout the entirety of the film but it's it's a creep it's a very creepy job signing where it's like hmm not everybody cuts my hand when i put pen to paper <laughs> that's kind of fucked up old man <laughs> mm-hmm. but i um, mean it, looking at it as uh going in completely blind if you didn't know any sort of horror element like you could say that it's just some sort of like really you know dark hitman thing like you think you think of you know in the t- world of like you know crime syndicates, I think uh, you've I think it's been done before in films where they shake on something and each slice their hand and shake and mix the blood together as a way to say like we're we're both in this together. So if one of us goes down, we're both going down. So knowing that this does become an outright horror film, yeah, obviously there's got to be some sort of like supernaturalish element there, signing in blood. But if you really wanted to justify it and say like going in saying this could just still be a hitman movie i mean i feel like you could still sort of be on that track if you really were trying to yeah absolutely i mean there's there's plenty of slimy criminal types they're very 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 superstitious um so i could i could see that Mm -hmm. um but it's interesting because we get uh some chapter breaks in in the middle and the closing acts of the film that were not present until about the halfway point in the form of uh I guess the names on the kill list. So they're mm-hmm. not names, really. They're just titles. Um, so it's the priest, the librarian, and the MP. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of fun how uh, how everything starts out pretty like by the book and like pretty straight laced, and then it just continually gets more and more fucked. <laughs> so like when they go to do the librarian job, um, one thing that I thought was really neat about the acting performances is. Um, not only when they go to do that job, but when they go to sign the contract, like just the way uh, Jay and Gal are framed, like they're both in nice suits. Uh, Jay's posture is very upright and he's doing like the manly power walk. Like he looks like he's in his element. Like he mm-hmm. looks like he's doing what he's meant to do, which is, you know, dirty business. But I guess that's what he's on the earth to do. Um, but he just looks so much stronger and more confident than he did in his actually very nice home like he, he his doesn't polo look shirts and sitting at the jacuzzi you know like yeah he does feel <laughs> a little out of his element there yeah he doesn't have a little kid slapping him in his tummy yeah yeah <laughs> no he looks like he's on the job like he showed up um and yeah the, the way they they get rid of the priest is a uh, it's kind of an, a chilling sequence i forget does the uh the church group happen before the priest or after um i, I think, think it's, it's before uh yeah i believe it's before yeah yeah so i mean that was an interesting sequence because in some ways it was hard for me to place what the meaning was um because like if you dismiss the supernatural aspects where it's like okay this is some like antichrist kind of shit going on here when we get to the end um if you dismiss all that like his reaction even without the supernatural aspects of the story actually feels natural where it's mm-hmm. like he's getting ready to kill a man, like not only a man, but a man of the cloth. <laughs> um, I could see why he'd be on edge when people are singing and you know being happy and pleasant around him when he's like in this like very grim state of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a scene that draws attention to in- itself, and I'm curious like if you had any like interpretations to it. Well, I think one thing that you get throughout the film is that clearly Gal is maybe not religious but he believes in some sort of higher power throughout the film where jay whether he's you know uh you know an atheist agnostic i don't know but clearly he has something where he he doesn't buy into the idea of a higher power or certainly not organized religion that's for sure 
Um, and I think you kind of get that with the priest where, you know, Gal is a little uncomfortable with killing the priest where Jay doesn't really think it's a big deal. And I like uh, the moment where Jay says, well, maybe if this, you know, if this priest is bad and he's doing bad things with kids, maybe it'll make up for all the other terrible shit we've done. And uh, you can actually, you know, get into heaven. <laughs> but um, in terms of the scene with the church group, I think kind of hint just goes to show that um, Jay is not into religion at all and why that might be why the cult specifically chooses him at the end over gal because they're looking for somebody who doesn't believe in a higher power or a higher power of good or something like that um so and and it just goes to show their personalities reinforce that in terms of jay being a hothead where gal has to come in and sort of smooth out the situation um and it does feature one of my favorite lines of the film. I know you said there weren't weren't many memorable lines, but one that I like is when uh, uh, Michael Smiley apologizes to the group and he says, uh, double orange juices all around on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that he says it as he's walking out of the room. He doesn't yeah. even look back. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that was a really neat scene. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't play, I couldn't like find a really strong reason as to why it was there, but I'm really glad it was. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of neat because it's, it's also kind of a surreal moment where it's like, I could totally see myself like having this specific type of encounter at like a Denny's or something because it's like a, it's a hotel dining room and it's literally just two hitmen and a church group. Yeah. <laughs> and so the atmosphere is like bipolar as it can be. Um, but yeah, when they go to kill the priest, like there's a lot of buildup and we get like a brief montage of the two men like, stealing themselves and like gal uh, readying their equipment and stuff and again they both look like they're doing what they're meant to do um and then we get a lot of sympathetic shots of the priest where like he's he's doing a service and everything and like there's a bunch of old folks on the pews a lot of lingering shots of like old faces and stuff so it looks like he has like a dedicated congregation and stuff and then uh, we give him the Patrick Bateman treatment upstairs. Uh, we lay down some uh, some plastic sheets, and uh, we come at him from behind with a silenced pistol. And uh, this begins a trend wherein all the people that Jay kills on this kill list, uh, they thank him before he does them in. Mm-hmm. And uh, this doesn't sit well with him. Uh, Jay is a bastard. He doesn't like being thanked, <laughs> especially right before he kills you. Um, but I did like that Gal crosses himself when they step into the priest's office because, like mm-hmm. you said, it does seem like he has some sort of foundation of belief in him. Uh, Jay, absolutely not. Um, but, yeah, the priest thanks him, and uh, he shoots him in the back of the head, and we get this rapid-fire montage of them. Uh, it's kind of like Edgar Wright-esque, um, re- extricating him from the building and the way they get him out of that upstairs office is they put him in a body bag and they drop him they drop him out the window onto a dumpster. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh oh no, that's <laughs> not good. <laughs> and then yeah, yeah. we I guess we, we cremate him. Um and yeah, that's how they get rid of him. And I that that particular kill on the list is the smooth one. Every other one, not so much. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder I wonder if they have like a dedicated place where they cremate this guy you know we never find that out like do they have is there some like funeral home that they you know slip some money on the side and hey if we ever bring in a body can we just toss him in your oven here and i don't know but (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah these are thoughts i've never had to have so yeah yeah (laughs) 
but yeah, uh, the the editing there is is again, it's like almost comical, if not for the movie being like deeply unsettling. Mostly because the the soundtrack for this movie is, well, the soundscape is mm-hmm. mostly ambience. It's mostly like ambient sound, like droning. It's very intimidating. It's very unsettling. It's very well constructed. I, and I guess uh, we we haven't really mentioned this too much, but one thing that I kind of want to mention that the first time I watched it was particularly striking is the accents in this film, which are very strong. And part of it might be because of like the, the, the way that the dialogue is done naturally. There's a lot of times where it's tough to understand what they're saying. And uh, this time because I knew we'd be talking about it. I did sometimes put on subtitles. I don't usually have subtitles on when I watch films, but uh, I I wanted to get some details that maybe I'd missed before. But I do think, you know, this could just be me being a dumb American and not having an ear for accents. But I do think because the accents are so thick and sometimes difficult to decipher, that is kind of a way to always, like, make you a little, like, you almost have to, like, sit up on the edge of your seat to like discern what they're talking about. And it is kind of another way to make you on edge along with the sound design. Um, so I, I could just be pulling that out of my ass. I don't know, but I think there, I think there might be something there. Well, for me personally, I, I do watch most movies, even in English, like with subtitles. It's just a thing I've done my whole life. Um, for me, it's like, it's a cozy thing to fall back on, especially because I've had a few experiences of watching people that are keen on rewinding things if they miss bits of dialogue, and I'm like, "Fuck you, put it down." <laughs> no, no, we're not doing that. Like, that's not how we do. That's not how we do things in this house. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. if you missed it, fucking figure it out. <laughs> like, like, that's my policy. Yeah. Um, and subtitles are a little bit of a security blanket, and it, it like gives you something to fall back on. Like, if you didn't hear it, you can read it. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, but, um. I will say this much, uh, the Irish accents, uh, gals in particular, is not nearly as indecipherable as some of the Scottish accents that we've had to listen to on Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, so for me, this was a pretty uh, sim- it was pretty easy for my ears to pick up on. But I, I get you where it's like it has that element of foreignness to your ears, to our to our American ears, that it, it does make you want to may- pay more attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just in general, the sound in this film is very, very good. Um, and I... Th- Again, I've only seen this and Free Fire, but I want to say that maybe Ben Wheatley has a knack for that. Like, it's a detail that he doesn't discount because Free no. Fire, the the sound in that movie is incredible. Um, I want to say they they did a lot of like really specific sound design for all the gun reports and stuff, um, and just like paying special attention to the uh, to quote Joss Whedon texture <laughs> to, to all the, like the bullet hits and all that business. Um, and in this film, yeah, the the score is is just ever present and intimidating as fuck. I really like that uh, they do this trick where uh, there are several scenes where uh, all the sound is dropped out except for the score, mm-hmm. and it's really it's really cool because, um, like you were saying about the accents, it kind of uh, diverts your attention in a different direction. Where because there's no live sound happening in the scene, it kind of frees up some of your senses. To just pay attention to the visual aspect of things uh so it's like oh well obviously there's not going to be any dialogue because all the sound's gone uh so there's certain stretches of the movie where it's like you can kind of ease back in your seat and just like drink in the visuals and it's really it's really handy like because it, it makes it so you're not on like clenching your sphincter the whole movie <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah especially when we get to like the tunnels in the end of the movie uh, 
really great sound. But um, yeah, they they off the priest, and then next up is the librarian, and this was one. Of the, this was one of the more satisfying sequences in the movie for me because I was I was waiting for something to happen like this because you know a dude getting shot in the back of the head I've seen that plenty of times like it, violence in movies I'm sorry I don't know what this says about me as a person I tend to laugh yeah um, um, but uh, when we get to the librarian I was like fucking yes yeah, yeah. yeah that's not that's no Sunday morning cartoon when we get to the librarian no we we go all out that's where the movie earns its R rating that's right. Um, so yeah, we we like case him a bit. So we observe him from afar, and he has a storage locker. And uh, we they Jay and Gal they investigate the storage locker, and we never see what they see. Um, but first, they're like, "Oh, is this like a porn shed or something?" Um, but apparently, uh, from what we can glean from the audio, uh, there's a lot of screaming and some horrible noises. And uh, both Jay and Gal, uh, Gal shuts it off immediately. It's a video. Uh, he shuts it off instantly. Uh, Jay indulges. He sits down to watch it, and Gay uh, Jay, who has been shown to be a very hard man, uh, who has no problem offing priests, uh, he's he, he like tears up at the sight yeah. of whatever this is. Um, so very good, very good use of your filmmaking tool set there by not showing us what he sees, because I seriously doubt they could find anything that would make me have that reaction um, in a R-rated film anyway. <laughs> um, but. Uh yeah, they they immediately cut. Is it like a hard cut to the outside of his house? Yeah, it, it cuts. It says we get the like the title, the librarian, and then the sound kind of ramps up, and then as it's ramping up, it cuts <laughs> to them immediately punching him in the face. Which is, I love that cut. It's so good. It was it's comical. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, honestly, th- this film has moments that are funny. Like there, there's a moment coming up that I think is a, a highlight that I'll mention but um you know like some of the dialogue between the two guys I think there are moments for such a dark film there are moments of levity and humor and I think that is kind of a moment that is meant to be sort of humorous in a very dark situation well it's it's cathartic and it it's kind of neat how it's um again demonstrating how how editing and filmmaking works how it's like okay we saw that they witnessed something bad we know who is potentially responsible for manufacturing that bad thing. We get his title, so we know who he is now. And then, bam, he's getting punched in the face. <laughs> so it's like, yes, yeah. <laughs> it adds up perfectly. Um, but yeah, Brad, you want to want to tell us what goes down here in this uh, extended torture sequence? Yeah. So they they take the librarian into his home, and they basically just start uh, start going off on the guy. Um, I mean, let's some of the stuff they do. A, high, a lot of it involving a hammer. They take a hammer to his kneecaps. Um, I do like there is a moment where, at first, the librarian is like, "Oh, I've got money. I've got money. You just take whatever you want." And then uh, I forget if it's Jay or Gal, but one of them says, "Hey, we saw into your storage locker." And kind of once they say that, the librarian is just like he stops. He doesn't like even try to deny like, oh, that's not mine. He just is kind of like, oh, well, I'm fucked now. Like he kind of, like, <laughs> comes to realize that, yeah, he's not getting out of this. Um, so, yeah, there's an extended torture sequence. But then um, when Gal goes upstairs and looks into the guy's safe, we get another sort of creepy moment where the librarian, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what he says, but. Basically, he thanks Jay again, and he says, uh, it's an honor to have met you before I died or something like that, mm-hmm. symbolizing that 
these people somehow know who Jay is. There's some sort of significance to him, although we don't know it quite yet. But uh, clearly it's it's making Jay a little uncomfortable. I think it would make me a little uncomfortable, too. <laughs> I mean, at this point in their in their dialogue exchange, uh, both men have been punching him in the face repeatedly. Uh, he's tied to a chair in his own dining room. And then the guy starts thanking you. Um mm-hmm. I don't he, know what kind of kinky shit you're into, but stop it. <laughs> like, yeah. I, w- one thing he said, he says, referring to Gal, he says, "Does he know who you are?" So, mm-hmm. and Jay is like, "What the what the hell are you talking about?" Yeah, and I like that uh, the expression on his face and his actions thereafter um, speak to him not knowing. Mm-hmm. Like, I I immediately dismiss that in my mind that like maybe Jay maybe Jay is aware of something that isn't communicated to us the viewer at this point and i was like no he he doesn't know anything like so he knows what we know essentially yeah um in fact even less because he doesn't know about the pagan symbol in his bathroom <laughs> yeah 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 i've heard some interesting theories about some of the some characters in this film and their potential involvement with the cult but i don't think mm-hmm. i've read any that say that jay is aware of what is going on um it just wouldn't make any it just wouldn't no. make any sense no, I, I read a couple of things here and there that suggested Gal might be involved. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But we get too much screen time of of Gal alone to suggest that. Yeah, uh, the, I, I the don't buy make, that. Yeah, the editing uh, the, and the construction of the film don't support that, in my mind anyway. Um, but there's some stuff at the end where I, I guess you could take a swing at that. But me personally, yeah. no, I, I dismiss that pretty early. Yeah, if you want to um, be, um, what's the word, uh somebody that just disagrees with everybody oh contrarian like, yeah if you want to be a contrarian yeah you can be like uh, actually gal was uh I, I believe he was a member of the cult the whole time uh, <laughs> i wish people could see your expression <laughs> your contrarian face yeah you need to do that uh, yeah. with folded arms though <laughs> but um yeah i think it's after uh, the librarian starts thanking him that uh, he starts laying into him with the hammer mm-hmm. and yeah uh some pretty nasty makeup effects here uh, he he bashes his kneecap in uh, he obliterates his hand so imagine a hammer scene from casino and uh, amp that up a couple of notches and there you mm-hmm. go uh, his his hand is a stump essentially yeah. after he's done with it um but the real icing on the cake though because um, this scene just continually ramps up and up and up uh, is we get this really neat like it's obviously like a dummy of some sort um, but the way they they choreograph the scene, uh, Jay like eases his face onto the table, and the face is looking away from us, so like the the dummy face isn't available to us. But the way he eases him on the table looks so natural. Yeah. And the the dialogue playing over the scene from the librarian, like him, he's still speaking to him, makes you believe that it's like, oh, that's the actor. Um, and then he just lays into the the top of his head with that hammer and uh yeah his noggin bursts open it's mm-hmm. fucking juicy <laughs> yeah, yeah i was like oh it's well done it's pretty well done <laughs> yeah no i was i was hoping for a moment like that because kyle knows what i like and uh, unfortunately it happens to be shit like that <laughs> yeah, yeah um but yeah uh librarian is dead um and i didn't get it in the moment uh, maybe because I was just still kind of giggling about the head exploding, but <laughs> but I had to I had to like look it up after I finished the film. But apparently, the people that Jay goes after immediately after the sequence were the people who made the tape, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
because they, they I didn't, get the I didn't address. Get that. They get the address from the safe because yeah, they're asking the librarian who made the the video, and he says the address is in the safe or something like that, or maybe he tells them outright. I can't remember, but basically, yeah, they get the address, and uh, that's where they go next. And I gotta mention, I do like the. Uh, moment where Gal comes back downstairs and he just walks into the kitchen and there's just like blood everywhere and he's just like oh Jesus you're cleaning this shit up (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I think his word as he steps out he tells him like he just gives him a scornful look and he's like I'm not getting a fucking bag. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, you're you're cleaning this up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. not my fucking problem. All I did was go upstairs <laughs> to steal this man's money, and you make a mess of the place. Shame on you. Um, but yeah, uh, instead of like bedding down for the night and getting ready for the next name on the list, uh, they all file into the car, and Jay's like, "We're going, we're going to kill these people who yeah. are not on our list." Um, and like I said, at this point, I was a little confused because I was like, oh, are they finishing the list like tonight or something? But mm-hmm. no, there's still one more. Um, and then we get this really extended sequence where uh, Jay goes off on his own. He says, follow me in 20 minutes if I don't come back. And this this sequence in particular is why I think Gal doesn't have anything to do with the cult. And that's because we get to hang out with him in the car by himself and he's not doing anything sinister. He's drinking fucking juice from a juice box. How, how can you how can you be a sinister cult member and drink drink a juice box? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a testament to his innocence right there, for yeah, sure. He has a juice box. If he if he had a Capri Sun and he punctured it from the bottom, I was like, No, he is on the side of the angels. <laughs> Fuck you and your theories. Um but yeah. It's like a several minute long sequence of Gal retracing Jay's steps and we get to see the carnage after the fact. And again, his reaction isn't to like freak out. He's just like, ah, oh, Jesus. Because <laughs> yeah. he finds like body number one and a dog. And he's like, God damn it. And then he keeps walking. And he finds uh, Jay smashing a dude's face against like a aluminum siding or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, the guy's not dead, but he probably wishes he was. And Jay offs the guy and, and Gal... Again, doesn't even really raise his voice to him. It's just like, get in the car. <laughs> like, get, the, yeah. get in the car. <laughs> well, this is where probably my favorite, uh, one of the funniest moments in the movie is, is when uh, Jay is just smashing this guy's head against the, the wall or whatever, throws him down. This guy's face is just mangled. And then he, sh- I believe he shoots the guy. And then he like looks at Gal and he says, has it already been 20 minutes or something like that? <laughs> Which is a pretty, pretty good moment. Yeah, I mean, if you changed up the lighting and the soundtrack for this movie, it could just be like a, a Hitman buddy movie or something. Yeah. <laughs> could just you know, be like it's, the twisted adventures of Jay and Gal. It's not far off from something Tarantino-esque or even like uh, In Bruges. I, definitely very similar to that, which both have their comedic moments. This one obviously is darker and goes down a darker path, but you know, it's definitely got those elements there. Yeah, no, it it has some comedic elements to it. I I want to say it's all intentional too. Yeah, it's a, it's a if it's it's a movie that plays many angles at once, and I'm sorry, Gal is such an endearing character that's like you can't help but smile sometimes when he's on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens in between this and the third kill? Like anything of an import besides a? Uh, I think we learned that Fiona's at the house. Yeah, well, kind of be- this sequence. Um. It, they try to get out of the uh, third kill. They kind of say, like, all right, this is getting too weird. We're done. Um, so they try and get out, and they go 
meet with, you know, the Donald Biden in a mullet <laughs> guy again, who basically says that uh, they can't get out at this point. And they, they ask him, like, what what is all this for? What are you doing? And he says, uh, reconstruction. So clearly some they're reconstructing something in terms of their organization or their cults, which we don't know it's a cult yet. But um, and uh, that reconstruction probably is revealed to us by the end of what they're trying to do. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of what happens in between the, the two kills. We also get the the moment where uh, Jay sees Fiona outside his uh, hotel window waving which is a very dreamlike sequence. Now you could say that uh, he didn't, he couldn't tell that it was Fiona from that far away, or he could have just thought he dreamed it. Um, you know, like why did he not like immediately say that's that's weird, gal? Your girlfriend is out there in a white dress waving at us. Um, so I think he, whether he thought it was just a dream or he couldn't tell that it was her, I think uh, either one you can use as an explanation. I think he wrote it off as a dream uh, mm-hmm. because, uh, like, I, I actually forgot that they tried to get out of the contract. So thanks for filling that blank in. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, when I think he goes home and he tells Shell to go to like a cottage that they have somewhere like in the country, um, hip his wife and his son, um, and Fiona is there, and he's uh, his expression when he sees her is quizzical. Like he's mm-hmm. like, uh, "Why are you here?" Uh, it's it's the kind of thing where it's like it, it actually is consistent with him having seen her out the window from his hotel, like probably very, very far from from his own home. Um, so I think he writes it off as a dream. But yeah. you know, by the time we get to the end of the movie, it's like, I don't know if that was a dream. <laughs> um, and also, um, wow, I, I am amazed I didn't put this together. But um, when you said uh, reconstruction and when you think about the uh, the whole concept of the film, the kill list, uh, during the dinner party, Fiona is asked what she does for a living. She says she's an HR, mm-hmm. and she has she's the person who comes in and dismisses employees who are extraneous employees, as she calls them. Hmm, this <laughs> is like kind of interesting. Yeah, it, yep, it yep. really fits. It really fits the the construction of this cult organization. I I'm amazed that 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 slipped me by, but uh, thanks for helping me catch that but um the last name on the kill list is uh the mp which uh being as i'm a dumb american i was like military police (laughs) i "I didn't know what it was either the first time i saw it yeah i I, you know american sorry but it's member of parliament i had to look it up but in my mind i was like why military policeman in a mansion what (laughs) i guess they do pretty well but (laughs) a magician puppeteer what what the hell are they trying to uh, but yeah, Muppet Porcupine, but, <laughs> <laughs> but this time around, um, at this point we've had the sequence where, uh, Jay, uh, went to the doctor and, uh, he had this horrible rash all over his body. It looked like he was infected with something and Shell urges him to go to the doctor and he has <laughs> the most bizarre exchange with his doctor who is not his doctor, by the way. Like yeah. he gets, he gets several minutes deep into this conversation. He's like, why am I talking to you again? <laughs> like, I don't know you. Yeah, his his doctor is basically like, 
listen, you, you don't need medicine. You just need to <laughs> live in the present because tomorrow is the past and the future hasn't happened yet. It's just like, what, how much am I paying you for this co- consultation, Doc? What the hell? <laughs> no, I, I like that he like rolls his eyes and he's like, I'm here for my hand. Yeah. <laughs> like, because he still hasn't even taken the bandage off. Like, the guy hasn't even looked at his hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, some moments in, in this film are just. Movie. Some moments are just so weird that, like, they end up being funny. Like, that's a, a, a perfect example where that scene is it's dark, <laughs> it's kind of creepy, but it's also pretty humorous. Like, you know, it well, walks a fine line. Like, it's almost Cohen esque. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's the example that. Uh, Kyle and I always come back to is a, a serious man, the the Goy's teeth, where he goes to see. I think it's the second rabbi or maybe the first rabbi, and he tells him this long story. Of, of, and, and by the end of it, you're like, "So what does that all mean in relation to me?" It's like, "Well, I told you a story, didn't I?" <laughs> it's like, it's like, what? <laughs> like, how is this helpful to me? It's like, well, it isn't, but. You know, if you, if you learn something, you you got a story out of it. It's like, mm-hmm. God damn it. <laughs> but yeah, this doctor is just like utterly disinterested in the prospect of even looking at his hand. And uh, sure enough, whatever it was, whatever affliction he had on, on his whole body is gone on its own. But um, for this third hit, they, they have to go out to this mansion that's out in the country. And uh, they, they head out into the wilderness. Like they head out into the woods. And I really like their little camping they're little like camping like yeah it's just fun yeah they're like traipsing through the woods and he's like you want you want a cup you want a cuppa like a cup of tea and he's like yeah that'd be nice i found some (laughs) rabbits (laughs) we're gonna have rabbit and tea we're gonna hang out in the woods like bros yeah (laughs) one last moment together before shit really hits the fan yeah (laughs) it's it's kind of cozy and uh, I, I don't know what the significance of the rabbit might be but um earlier in the film we did have a rabbit discovered in the in the yard that was dismembered and it was assumed that the cat did it mm-hmm. um, that very well may be true it sounds like the cat's done it before um, i did read some places that uh, suggested fiona might have done it but i was like no they said the cat does this on occasion so i have no reason to suspect that mm-hmm. um and uh jay he he cooks the fucking rabbit and eats it <laughs> i was like i don't know if i'd want to do that man it's been sitting out in your lawn for how many hours and you yeah. don't know if the cat like pissed on it and <laughs> it's pretty gross but i gotta it's say it's pretty fucking gross <laughs> when he when he cooks it like what it looks like cooked looks pretty damn good i gotta say that looks pretty delicious it does actually look really delicious, but knowing where it came from, yeah, I would never sta- do that. No, no, yeah, no. what state it arrived in, like in your household? Mm, I don't know, buddy. But. I, I would eat rabbit. I don't think I've ever eaten rabbit before, but I would eat it, but not, you know, just lying out in the yard. <laughs> no, you don't find a dead thing in the yard and eat it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's us being like snooty Americans or something. Is there any sort of theory out there that he got like some sort of like ridiculous poisoning, like food poisoning from this rabbit that infected him and this is all in his mind? I mean, there are many theories uh, that I stumbled across suggesting that it's a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, me noticing the pills was definitely, it was definitely something that may have occurred to me. I, di- I actually didn't treat this movie like a dream, but being being as he's taking some sort of pills throughout the movie... Um, and he had funky rabbit meat. <laughs> I, I could see, I could see that being a thing. Yeah, but, um, yeah. I think the director himself dismissed that, though. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's certainly there enough for you to like, you know, whether 
that's probably not the right explanation but like uh i think when i was back when i first saw this you know this was when i was doing some deep dives and some blogs and some forums back in the day in 2011 but you know just the idea that uh i think multiple people tell him to wake up throughout the film yes um at some point his son does at some point shell does so you know just there's enough there to if you really want to you know pull out that theory that it's all a dream it makes it interesting but yeah i certainly think uh some moments are very dreamlike but yeah i don't think this is all a literal dream no i i don't think of it as a dream but like you said um the repetition of him him being told to wake up him taking meds throughout the entire movie and the editing style like uh, like the the fades to black and whatnot it it does suggest that you know maybe he does black out or something but you mm-hmm. know that that's not how i thought of it but um yeah i don't know what the significance of gal showing up with a couple of dead rabbits has but it it's a motif it's a thing it's it it fits with some of the callbacks that we have to earlier events in the film um and then yeah uh, we head out to investigate the mansion in the middle of the night and uh yeah we discover a cult (laughs) i mean it's pretty impressive how late into the game this is introduced like i think there's maybe 20 minutes left in the movie if that um yeah so i got you got to give it credit just for like just the sheer like just like left turn and i mean obviously it's hinted at throughout the film there's enough there but it certainly does not go all out like it does until the final 20 minutes which i think is really interesting and i love when films do that yeah, I I like that it shows up only in the last 20 minutes and it's not jarring, like it's not puzzling, like you don't find yourself furrowing, furrowing your brow and being like, what the fuck? Um, mm-hmm. Like by the time you get there, it's like, well, it's only a matter of time, I guess. <laughs> but um, yeah, they have like some sort of like processional like music playing over that um, it's on the soundtrack of the film. I don't know if it's supposed to be like diegetic music, like it's actually happening in the environment. I don't think so because there's no instruments visible. Yeah, but I like that it sounds like it could potentially be. Like I don't think it is either. But just are you talking to like where it's like the 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 you know the the drum with the cymbal crash? Yeah, that yes. it feels like something that could be there. But yeah, I agree. I don't think it actually is. Yeah, um, I really like that about it. Where it's like it it would if it was there happening live it it would belong just fine mm-hmm. but, um that particular melody does play earlier in the film like you said the was it like some sort of whispering um at the beginning of the film um and then i think it comes up again when he's killing the pornographers mm-hmm. um and so this is like we get the like loud and proud version of it that it's kind of overwhelming um on this on the soundtrack for the film um, but yeah, it's like a whole procession of people wearing wicker masks. Some people are naked uh, just because. Uh. Well, yeah, <laughs> I got to say that I think Kill List was a little ahead of the curve on here because the idea of these naked cult members, like obviously you could go back to the wicker man, obviously was definitely had to be some sort of influence on this film. I don't. I know they were like they were very sexual that that cult, but I don't I don't remember if any of them like marched around naked. I can't remember that. Um, but just the idea of Ari Aster, who's done Hereditary and Midsummer, I, I love those movies. I think they're great. But both of those, well, this is a little spoiler for both of those films, I guess. Very slight, I guess. But both of them sort of dip into the you know creepy naked cult members well. And, uh, I mean, 
I think it works okay for both of those films. But I mean, in terms of recent films doing that, Kill List beat those to the punch by six, seven years. So I think uh, I don't I don't want to say that this was an influence on those, but certainly it came out well before Ari Aster's uh, heralded films, rightfully heralded, I should I'll say. But you know, I think uh, we got to give some credit to Ben Wheatley here. He was ahead of the curve. Yeah, I I don't know what it is. Like this is me talking firmly out my ass, but um the the history of like paganism, like satanism in in the UK and just Europe on like as a whole uh, seems to be much more potent than over here, I guess. Like cuz mm-hmm. there are a lot of horror movies dealing with cults of of this particular kind of nature that come out of Europe. Um and you know, their their history dates back quite a bit further than American history. So it's like I don't know. Maybe this was like a thing in, in European history where where you had a lot of shit like this going on. Um, I I can't speak to like the truth of that statement, but uh, there yeah, there's a lot of horror movies that kind of borrow this imagery. Um, and also, it needs to be said, uh, like Shivers, for example. Um, I don't know what it is, but the the sight of a like a naked person totally like totally uninhibited and like seemingly i don't know un- unaware or just unconcerned with their nakedness mm-hmm. like wanting to do harm to somebody is is really unsettling yeah like yeah. the last thing i want is like a person with a knife running at me is scary a, a naked person with physics having its way with every part of their body running at me with a knife that's even worse that's a lot worse in fact yeah, they're, and they're it's, usually not the most attractive people either, so that makes it even worse, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, the the kind of people that are comfortable with that generally, it's like, <laughs> it's like but yeah, yeah it, it's there's something to be said for the na- the naked human body, like seeing seeing it in such a way where it's like they're just c- completely comfortable. Like, um, I forget what it's called, but there's a uh, there's a computer game that it's a uh, it's a kind of like Blair Witch esque, um, where basically you you have no weapons. You're trapped in an insane asylum, and you're being pursued by multiple like homicidal maniacs and whatnot. So all you can do is hide, and much like the Descent, the movie, um, the only way you can see in the dark is using like a, a DV cam with night vision. Mm, so you have mm-hmm. to you have to hold up your camera in order to see sometimes. I think I've played that before, actually. Um, I mean, there might be multiple ver- games that do that, but uh, I can't think of the name of it. Uh, it'll it'll come back to me, but um, there's there's a couple of antagonists in that game, of which there are many. But uh, there's a couple of antagonists in that game that just happen to be like a pair of naked twins um, that just charge at you through the darkness, and something about the way they look and the and the fact that they talk to you, and they're just like unbothered by the fact that they're completely stark naked just makes them all the creepier. Uh, it's <laughs> unsettling. It's unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, this this it's called Outlast, by the way. Okay. I think I think that's um, the one I'm thinking of too actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there can't be too many of those. <laughs> um but yeah, this naked congregation, some of them have wicker masks, some of them have white pajamas, and some of them are naked. Uh, there's a, a woman among them who I think she has money taped, like tied to her. Um, it's like a young woman and she hangs herself willingly in front of everyone. And they all, I think they all give a clap at the sight of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Jay has had enough and uh, he starts shooting at him just 
willy-nilly doesn't really seem to be picking his targets very well against the wishes of of gal against the wishes of gal gal says this is a stupid idea i he says there's too many of them and i'm like "Uh (laughs) uh-huh yes there are um but what makes matters really really bad is that he does off a handful of them um and then they instead of running away or dispersing they run at them (laughs) <laughs> and that's that is worrying when people yeah. start getting shot and instead of running away from the gunfire they run towards you this is a problem <laughs> now i don't think they outright say it um but i think we're maybe supposed to assume that the first guy that he shoots who sort of like turns to him with his arms outstretched and is basically accepts it and you've got that very unsettling uh sound cue of like uh somebody screaming high pitched or something um, I think we're probably supposed to assume that's the MP. I could be yeah. wrong, but I, I mean, the fact that that would be the third hit and that's kind of his way of saying thank you well, is just him, like, accepting it with his arms outstretched. Yeah, uh, that's how I interpreted it. Yeah. Um, he he did look like the ringleader, and mm-hmm. I, he, I think he had, like, a medallion or something that had the, the pagan cross thing on it. Um, so, yeah, I interpreted that as him being the target. Um, but yeah, uh, this starts a really, really harrowing sequence in a series of tunnels that the lighting here and the editing is, ooh, it's genuinely pretty creepy. Oh, it's, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's really scary. Um, I, I don't know. I have maybe a little bit of claustrophobia. I generally don't put myself in situations that would trigger it. Um, but in having watched movies like The Descent and sequences like this it's like yeah i I don't think i like enclosed spaces (laughs) i don't think that makes me happy (laughs) yeah yeah i think this whole sequence to me is just like incredible like looking at i was taking notes throughout the movie and once we got to this sequence i stopped taking notes because i was just so transfixed by what was happening and like i've seen the film multiple times but every time this sequence is so uh suspenseful and scary and the sound design like almost like the animalistic sounds of these people which are kind of ridiculous but honestly works in terms of like making you scared because like them running at you naked with the masks on with knives like screaming like rabid animals it is genuinely unsettling (laughs) yeah they sound like spider monkeys or something yeah yeah they do yeah um, but you know a way that you could make this movie, this sequence, uh, not scary. Put What's some that? Doom, doom music over yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's 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 get that going on YouTube. Let's do a little fan edit. That could be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put the doom monster noises over. <laughs> How did I not think of that? I'm playing Doom Eternal right now. I should have. I should have thought I mean, of that. The the former name for the genre was corridor shooter, and that's mm-hmm. essentially what the sequence is. It's just shot and edited in such a way where instead of being hilarious and entertaining, it's like, oh my god, this is unpleasant. Get me yeah. out of here. And it's really, it's really a, I don't know. It's it's cut together in such a way where you you really have no sense of where you are. Like your sense of geometry is just thrown all the way off and. There's even a part where they get to the end of a tunnel and Gal's like, it's all bricked up. Like, it's not supposed to be bricked up. And it's, like, questionable whether or not they took a wrong turn or if somehow they bricked it up um, Mm -hmm. while they were investigating. Uh, I want to say they just got lost. but (laughs) um. I I like to think that they actually bricked up their exit. I I like to think because they, like, basically they go through the wall 
and it it comes down pretty easily, which makes me feel like it was something that was put up pretty quickly. Um, so I, I, that's what I like to think, but it could be that they just got lost. Yeah, but uh, it needs to be said the sequence um, in all of its brilliance. Apparently, the the way Ben Wheatley went about constructing this film is a way that I kind of respect. Like I I actually I haven't made like actual films, but I've made like shorts with my friends and stuff that. Uh, this is generally how the process works for me anyway is uh, I guess the way he put together the film is he came up with a couple of set pieces or images that he knew he wanted to work in there and then he worked backwards mm-hmm. um, I, I guess like Stan- Stanley Kubrick do- did this as well but basically uh, the tunnel sequence in particular was just like I want that image so how do we make a movie around that image and I was like good job (laughs) like good good job because it it doesn't feel out of place and it's an excellent sequence um and it's all lit with like headlamps and stuff so it's it's really gripping and really nasty at times too um and unfortunately this is where gal meets his end um so he gets cornered by uh one of the wicker masked cultists and uh he gets some nasty knife wounds uh, to his midsection he does manage to kill his attacker but uh He's disemboweled. Uh, mm-hmm. His his insides are his outsides. And uh, I, I noticed, like, when I was doing a little bit of research, somebody said that uh, he says very low on the soundtrack, thank you, before he shot, which is why they suspect he was part of the cult or something. I was mm-hmm. like, I, I didn't, not only did I not catch that, um, I don't think that's true. We already went over that, but... Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if that if they intentionally included that as a way to throw on another theory like i mean it does make sense like he would say thank you because like you know he was in pain and he was he just wanted to be put out of his misery but i think i like to think that they put that in there intentionally giving you another path to go down if you want to yeah no i i like that it's there again i didn't notice it in the moment but uh, again i'm not following that thread although yeah um it's it's sad because it happens towards the end of the film and it's like the most horrible end for the best character. <laughs> I, I just like how he even like towards the end, like Jay is trying to help him and he's like he's like, dude, I'm done. I'm done, man. I'm done. <laughs> like he's he's still like his affable self. He's like, I'm done, yeah. man. Just leave me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually he does come across as like still supportive. In fact, yeah. I think one of the last things he says is like uh apologize to your wife for me or something like mm-hmm. say sorry to shell for me yeah it's yeah. like damn like still thinking about me and my problems even when you got <laughs> your guts hanging out shit yeah that's a bro <laughs> um but yeah jay mercy kills him with i think his pistol and he does escape and uh then we get like an epilogue sequence that uh the timing of it is almost comical uh, because it, it we don't get to breathe at all like he escapes he gets back to the cottage um, and then immediately there's like cult members uh, approaching from outside. So like without more than a couple of minutes in between, it's like, damn, like they're fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's like, it's like a covert, like home invasion sequence where he, he goes out and uh, he's not very cool about this. He starts shooting into the darkness and stuff. It's like, dude, I thought you had training. <laughs> it's like, it's just torches. Like there's yeah. no, there's no people out there. <laughs> I, I love uh, he, that image though, of just like torches, like, in like a, a huge open area just like these torches that randomly pop up like that w- that would scare the hell out of me if i was like in a, a vacation cottage and you just look out and there's just torches like in the yard well i mean again to make the movie not scary you have him run out into the darkness and shoot and uh i don't know if you've seen my cousin Vinny, but 
but him out in the cabin with the owl making all sorts of noise <laughs> when he kicks the door open and unloads the gun out into the woods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he, he like pimp walks his way back into the house like, yeah, show them. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that sequence is hilarious. But um, yeah, he gives Shell a gun and we get this. It feels a little bit out of place. Um, so he gets apprehended by the cultists or whatever and we get this couple minute long sequence of shell shooting people in the house and it's it's almost like an action sequence Mm -hmm. it feels very out of place in the film um and it also confuses the ending a little bit if you ask me um but yeah she i mean like like we've seen she has military training so when she's given a gun she certainly knows how to use it but yeah she kills a couple of cultists and uh i think she gets apprehended off screen as well um, which brings yeah. us to the climax of the film. Yeah, we get another title that says uh, The Hunchback, I believe. Um, yeah. And uh, now we've got Jay, who's been apprehended by the cult. They uh, basically strip him down. Not entirely. I think they just take his shirt off. Um, I don't need I don't need to see that. No, 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 no. no, no. He, he's schlubby enough already. We don't need to see yeah, anything below the yeah, waist. Gra- gra- gravity has had its way with his, his yeah. man, man bod. Um, but yeah, so they, uh, put the, one of the masks on him, the wicker masks, and they put uh, a knife in his hand and they f- f- uh, face him off against a, uh, hunchback who is covered in a white sheet who also has, uh, a knife in, uh, their hand and it's, you know, waving around and we get a, a bit of a battle and then the uh the the shocking reveal the, the reveal that will leave audiences shocked leaving this theater like that <laughs> seems like it would be on the poster for the film this ending you will won't shock last you 5 minutes with this film <laughs> <laughs> i yeah. hate those ads i hate those ads so oh, much oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah we get this knife fight that again if you wanted to make it hilarious you just put the uh uh, Captain Kirk versus Spock, the Amok Time music over it. Because <laughs> it is a it is a fight circle. Um, it, mm-hmm. it it's you know it's a knife fight in a circle with clapping cultists. Um, but yeah, uh, he he does get slashed at one point, but he does down the hunchback and he starts stabbing it in the back and its big old hunchback, and then a, he takes the mask off of it and uh, its shell. With uh, their son, like, harnessed to her back. So he yeah. was stabbing both his son and his wife. Now, yeah, that, they should have, uh, to end it, they should have put the Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, theme music. <laughs> boom, slowly boom, zoom boom. in on his face. <laughs> yeah, have, the, uh, have that verite, like, camera shake over it. Yeah, and, yeah. And making a goofy face. <laughs> Just have him say, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, uh, she, and this is where interpretations for the film start going haywire online anyway, is uh, she is kind of like laughing a little bit um, when the mask is taken off of her. Uh, I interpreted it as her being incredulous, like her just being like, this is fucked. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not her laughing because she's satisfied. It's her laughing because, oh my God, this is such a fucked situation. <laughs> and I I can't believe I'm dying right now in this, in this setting, in this way. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that's how I interpret it. But I mean, you know, she was spending a lot of time with Fiona and, um, 
I don't think we mentioned, but earlier in the film, uh, their cat dies. Yes. And her reaction to the cat being dead is pretty muted, like, in terms of, like, if, if you find your cat hanging on your porch dead, like, I feel like I'd have a pretty strong reaction to that. And she's kind of, like, she's just like, oh, the cat's dead. Like, she's not, <laughs> she's not that shook up about it, which, I mean, you know. They're both veterans. Maybe they've 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 been in the shit before, so maybe that's just like you know a cat dead isn't really that shocking to them. But um, I don't know. I mean, again, you know, it's there if you want to go down that rabbit hole. No, I'm, eh, rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> I I do think it's interesting that they do highlight that she is spending a lot of time with Fiona. Mm-hmm. I, that is interesting. I hadn't really considered that too much, but um. The cat thing's funny because, like, I could totally imagine Jay just being like, the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I do like that his reaction to the cat dying is, like, he he tells Gal, like, they're in the garage together, and he tells him, I fucking love that cat. And I didn't even know it until it was dead. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, is, I'm pretty sure a lot of people can relate to that. <laughs> I feel like any dad who has a cat, that would be their reaction. Like, yeah, I love that cat. Not when it was alive, but now I definitely, I, d- I did love it. <laughs> Yeah, it, I was like, oh, that's, that feels very genuine. Yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, some people online seem to really strongly believe that Shell was involved with the cult. I personally did not think that. Um, but the way the movie ends, and, and uh, I was telling you uh, before we started recording, um, when this movie ended, when the credits first started rolling, I legit started just laughing, like mm-hmm. heartily laughing. Um, <laughs> because uh, they, they put a wicker crown on jay and he just has this like uh somebody farted face on his he has this expression where just like somebody let one rip right in front of his face (laughs) um and then snap to black credits (laughs) yeah yeah everybody's clapping Uh, it is worth noting that amongst the cult members we do see fiona is there um we see the doctor the creepy doctor is there Mm -hmm. and uh the ringleader guy for a second there i thought it was the priest um but I think they just look similar or something. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's not a character that we encountered earlier in the film, but uh, he gets a lot of close-ups. So I was like, am I supposed to know that guy? I know mm-hmm. all those people. Um, but yeah, we snapped to black and credits, and my reaction was just to go, <laughs> <laughs> really? That's what we're doing? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those endings where, yeah, I could definitely see, like, if you saw this in theaters, like, yeah, the reaction would be, like, you know, people would laugh and kind of be like, really that's that's how we're going to end it or that's it type thing um but i i think i think it works i think i like the ending and i think because you know a lot of things that were built into the story which we've highlighted are you know kind of subtle on a first watch stuff that might you might not pick up on initially like there's a lot of groundwork that is laid that uh is you know takes a few watches to fully get everything and how it pieces together but i think the more i watch the film the more i appreciate it for you know all the little seeds that it plants along the way yeah clearly we've been having a lot of fun dipping into the details and um it took like a a good solid hour or two after i finished the film for me to realize that's like you know i was laughing when it ended but when i in retrospect when i think about it, it's like man that was a fun ride and Mm -hmm. obviously we've had a really extended conversation about so it's it's a very enjoyable experience um it's just it's not an answers movie like if, yeah. if it's really important to you to have really concrete answers to like narrative questions and stuff it's not it's not for you um but 
on the whole, it's just a really well put together, entertaining film in, in many, many ways. So I'm, I'm glad I watched it. Um, but uh, one thing I, I forget if we mentioned it was that uh, the librarian, the safe he has upstairs, has a, a big old folder in it that um, it has the cult symbol on it. And uh, at some point between his killing and the third killing, uh, Gal, uh, he investigates the folder and apparently they have a giant file on Jay. Uh, seemingly specifically on Jay, um, and also the uh, Trump Biden guy uh, with the mullet. <laughs> um, he he references Kiev, so yeah. um, these people who hired them have been following him for a decent stretch of time. Yeah. Um, so it it's obvious that they picked him specifically for some reason, and you know during the contract signing they only sliced his hand, not Gal's. So they had very specific intent with acquiring Jay for whatever whatever reason um, yeah i mean and going back to the theory of gal being part of it gal is the one that brings the job to jay so how did gal hear about the job i don't think we ever find that out but was the idea planted to gal knowing that he would bring it to jay who knows or maybe maybe gal was in on it the whole time i don't know maybe it was an inside job it's it's tough yeah. to say and we we don't get too many references to uh uh, their previous work other than they both did military service uh really the only other job we get any reference to is kiev mm-hmm. which apparently eight months ago and uh, a detail that i i tried to keep in the back of my mind that didn't add up to anything really that i guess maybe could support shell being involved in some way is uh the pills he's taking um i guess he hasn't worked in eight months because he says his back is a problem like he says oh my back still hurts and shell like throws it back in his face and is like no it doesn't <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you're fine um, so i don't know maybe maybe that could be used as like evidence to support her like urging him to take to take this job that's about to come his way or something yeah it's all it's one big game and it's one big conspiracy all to get <laughs> this schlubby british man to murder his family <laughs> yeah 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 they they go a lot these cults they go a long way to get to uh you know uh simple conclusion they they really take the long road but hey i guess if if you if you want to have jay as your new king of your cult then i guess i guess you got to go the long road you got to you got to go through all these hoops yeah well i mean that's always the funny thing with a lot of these cult movies is that usually they end like this where they just kind of like snap away from whatever was happening whatever horrible atrocity was committed or whatever um and it leaves you thinking like oh shit like did they really go to all of this trouble and then nothing comes of it yeah it's like it's like there's no like demon awakening like the antichrist doesn't appear on our on the earthly plane or whatever it's like nope just a lot of innocent people died and uh he gets to wear a crown (laughs) and then we all get drunk tonight well even suicide juice (laughs) (laughs) even even some horror films that like deal with like you know, like the omen or something like the idea of this demon or the antichrist taking over this kid. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like what's the end game? Like, like what is he going to like cause a, a hissy fit and a shoe of a, 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 sh- a shoe locker? What's the store foot locker? I, like, I mean, like <laughs> what's What's the end game for this demon? Like, I mean, is he going to run for president? I think one one of he the does. omen films he does. He yeah. Does. Doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. He turns yeah. into Sam Neill when he tries to become president. Yeah, I think he so does. That's the actually. end game. That's the end game. <laughs> uh, to turn into Sam Neill, cool. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, normally we don't do star ratings on uh, on catching up on cinema, but being as 
Brad was our our guest for this episode, and he stepped in in a pinch. Um, we should probably do that, um, being as that's a tradition on the Cinema Speak podcast. Uh, so, Brad, uh, what star rating do you think you would give uh, this viewing of the Kill List? Well, I would say uh, my viewings have gone up. Uh, I, I will say the first time I saw this film, it was uh, it was a three point five on a first watch, but since then, I've forced fed this baby up to a five, and I believe when I. Uh, did my best of the decade this was on my list and i think it was the highest horror film from the last decade so this this is a five for me and it's the best horror film of the 2010s if you ask me damn yeah I, I love this movie apparently wow <laughs> um, i'm glad we got i'm glad we got to talk about it. it gave you an excuse to get into it again uh well uh for me um i won't give it a five um but i think i walked away from it at a 3.5 but after exploring it for almost two hours, I think I'll bump it up to a four. All right. Um, hey, well, because my, yeah, this was a lot of fun for sure. My my first viewing was a three point five, so give it a few more pokes and you'll get it up there. Don't worry. Don't worry. Okay. Well, yeah, this was a fun <laughs> one for sure. I'm I'm glad both you and Kyle uh, urged me to watch it. Um, yeah. So this was a this was the right time to pull the trigger on this because um, unconventional horror. Yes, it fits that quarter the category for sure. Um, because uh. Just based on your like really loose plot analysis, it's like that's a horror movie. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it most certainly is. Just fucking watch it. Yep. yep. <laughs> um. So, uh, Brad, again, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Catching Up on Cinema. Um, but uh, folks at home probably want to find a way to check out some of your other work so uh, you want to fill them in on where they can find you in your podcast yeah well it's a cinema speak podcast so um wherever you listen to podcasts just search for that and you'll be able to find us we're also on twitter at the cinema speak or instagram you can follow us cinema speak podcast and uh cinemaspeak.libsyn.com is where you can go if you just want a web page with all our posted episodes so go check them out all right. Thanks for that, Brad. And uh, if you'd like to check out some of the other Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can find us on our website. It has all of our episodes collected in one place, uh, complete with loosely doctored uh, movie poster art. Uh, that would be catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias at uh, Instagram, at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter, at Catching Cinema. Uh, so feel free to uh, like, share, subscribe, and hit me up on either of those accounts if you have any comments you want to leave. Um, but yeah, that being said, uh, this was a lot of fun, Brad. And uh, thanks for listening, folks at home. And we will catch you next time.